Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. We're joined here today with Andy Papa, who's the owner of RS Experience, and he's going to be here to talk to us a little bit about you know, his business and what he's doing and, and how that's going to equate out to the EV you know, driving population and what he's seeing as transitions. And it's uh, pretty excited to have him here for that. So Andy, welcome. No, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to uh, talk with you guys today. Good. So what exactly is RS Experience? Can you catch us up on that? Yeah, sure. So um, RS Experience is kind of a fully curated, um, all-inclusive, two or three-day uh, driving experience for performance car owners. So think of this where you come to an event, bring your own car, and we do a lead follow format. Folks uh, follow me as we wind through some of these amazing uh, mountain roads uh, currently primarily taking place in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, there's, um, we also bring along a photographer. I have a husband and wife uh, photographers that come along and do both video, photo, and drone. So at the end of our event, we typically put together a sizzle reel video, if you will, of the event. And then all of the photography and video are provided um, to the participants. So that's all included in the price of the event. One of the things where um, RS experience may differ from some other rally types of experience is, is I spend time teaching and coaching on car control techniques. Um, I've been doing high performance driver's education for a number of years um, and have been a Porsche Club of America instructor also for a number of years. So there are some techniques that we teach and instruct on track that also apply to the uh, to the road, um, public roads. So that's a part that we spend some time with to get people with the intent of getting folks comfortable and confident with their cars, and then also um, for them to have fun and and have safe right be safe uh, during our trip. So that's one thing we do. And then lastly, we stay at a, a full service lakefront lodge that we typically have all to ourselves. So it's really nice, you know, for, you know, gatherings, camaraderie, you know, dinner in the evening, come back, talk about your, you know, stories of the day's drives while we hang out, you know, over some refreshment and good food. Very cool. And how long have you been doing this for? Um, about 18 months, a little over 18 months now. Um, of course, you know, Nothing like a brilliant idea of starting something in the middle of COVID, <laughs> but right. um, that's what I did. And so, yeah, it's been a little slow getting that thing off the ground. Sure. But it's, uh, it's a really cool idea. I like it, especially, you know, combining the educational component with it, but like, where did this idea come from? Like, how'd you come up with the, the plan to do this? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've always been into sports cars, um, and, and, you know, racing and driving and whatnot. And, I spent time, uh, gosh, probably about seven years, over seven years, um, doing rallies and drives in, in the mountains, mainly with friends. And, you know, at some point you go, you know, I really have a passion for cars. I really enjoy the driving. And then I enjoy seeing others. I get a big charge out of other people 
having a good time that like motivates and feeds me. Uh, and I was like, I wonder if there's others out there who would like to participate and do something like this, but in maybe a smaller, you know, a more intimate setting as opposed to doing these big rallies, right? I mean, there's rallies out there, you know, 30, 40, 50, heck, I've been on them with 150 cars. Um, and they can become overwhelming for some people if they don't like that type of environment. So this is a little more intimate. You know, we're obviously here, our, our big focus is on electric vehicles and, and the future of that and how it's going to look. How do you see electric vehicles melding into the type of uh, driving that you're doing on these tours? Well, I haven't had any EV participants um, as of yet. I do welcome, obviously, the EVs that would want to come along and experience um, driving their car um, in the mountains. So as you can imagine, right, as the infrastructure builds out, there's some challenge with regard to charging. Uh, now, there is a lodge. Uh, in the mountains down there that uh, I've stayed at several times that do have a couple of the Tesla uh, chargers on site. So I know there's a, a way to accommodate that. So um, yeah, I would, I would welcome those. I mean, you know, there's, there would obviously be some things that, you know, we would want to um, discuss with the owners of the cars, like with regard to preparation um, of their car, you know, for an event, you know, similar I do with folks who, you know, bring a gasoline powered car, you know, it doesn't hurt to do a little bit of an inspection, whether yourself or at a, mm -hmm. at a uh, dealership or, you know, your independent uh, repair shop to ensure that your brakes, you know, rotors are typically in good shape, but doesn't hurt to check pads mainly, and then the other piece would be um, brake fluid, right? We use we use the brakes a lot in the mountains, you know, on these twisty right. roads and some of the, you know, the uh, uh, and whatnot. And so, you know, um, do folks need to go to a racing fluid like modal or something like that? You know, maybe. Uh, but I've had some heavier cars come along in the past. I've had a BMW, um, what was it, an M850i? Uh, come along is like what 4,600 pounds, and and that guy was really cooking his brakes to where they got super spongy. So that would be something I probably would recommend they do. Andy, when we're looking at like certain EVs, let's say we're mm -hmm. looking at like the new Tesla Plaid, I could see that being mm -hmm. one, or or Porsche Taycan being out on an event like yours. Some of those might actually, I you know, we're talking about pads, but would you actually actually recommend new rotors for something that heavy? Because it's a lot more than even that 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 uh, BMW just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, no, I know that they they can get quite high. What I what I would look at, Mike, is really understanding what you know what rotors are currently on the car. You know, I imagine they're all iron rotors for the most part. I'm not recommending people go out and get ceramic rotors for their car, um, but it's just a matter of you know if they want to spend. It's, it's a big expense to upgrade, even if you do a Brembo brake big brake kit, I mean, you know, it may cost you up to $4,000. And um, for me, I would really concentrate on looking at, you know, what are the different types of pad material and pads that um, could be used on the car. And then, as I said earlier, you know, the, the, what the brake fluid is going to do, it's going to raise the boiling point, right, a racing fluid, and that will prevent your pedal from going kind of mushy and spongy on you. Um, and that was what was happening to that BMW. I don't think he totally cooked his rotors or anything like that. His brake fluid just got really hot. So he was losing some of that brake pressure and some of that feel. That makes sense. And that, I think that's really helpful, you know, because I think the people I talk to when they're talking about high performance driving with a, 
yeah, again, a Tesla Plaid or not necessarily a Tycon, but they're looking at, hey, do I need to get ceramic brakes? That's ten to $20,000. So, I mean, obviously that's a big expense. And that, I think, for a lot of people, scares them off from doing a high-performance driving event. A- absolutely. And you have to remember on the track, you know, if you think about one of the main differences, you know, driving on a track and on a street for the most part is on the track, it is pretty much you're either on the gas or you're on the brake. There's none of this in between, right? There's no coasting, right? Today, when we're driving on the street, oh, we're coming up to a stop sign, we lift off the gas, we kind of coast a little and we slowly and gently, right? The track, we don't drive like that. So you definitely use much more brake on the track. We're in the mountains where we're going to use a lot of brake is, you know, a lot of the roads run, you know, take tail of the dragon, right? I mean, it's, it's a kind of a famous road, 11 miles, and it has 318 turns. And there's a lot of switchbacks and there's a lot of sharp turns where you're going to use some braking. Now, the difference there is you're going to use a lot, but the speeds aren't that significant, right? You're just going to be on them a bunch, but you're not going from 150 to 80 so that you can take this turn kind of thing. That makes a lot of sense. That's really helpful, I think. Andy, a couple of questions for you around this, because there's a, like a different type of road rally that you're talking about. And then on the racetrack, what kind of experience do people usually need to go on something like this? Do they need to have a lot of experience? Yeah, no. Talk about that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So one of the things I did initially uh, uh, early on was I'd like to talk to the people on the phone prior to an event to understand their driving background and their comfort with their car, how long they've had their car, have they done any you know events? And over time, I feedback from some of the the participants and non-participants that I spoke to was like talking to me uh, felt a little intimidating in that it was going to be like a high pressure sales tactic, you know, where I was going to be like, oh, you have to come, you know, and and I was going to come up with every reason why they needed to come. So I pulled away from that, but yet during the registration process, we do ask them to fill in information about their driving experience. And we've had people with none, no, you know, other prior experience. We've had people who, you know, are, have participated in track and also autocross. Um, There's another piece there, you know, where folks do autocross. So when they come to the event, if I know they don't have um, that experience, right, then I have to manage those expectations for that individual, as well as the person who came, who has that, you know, track experience. So that's one of the things that um, uh, I I manage. I have someone who comes along with me. This person's done Porsche club racing as an instructor has been doing it for good, a lot longer than I have. And what we'll do sometimes is put them in the right seat of that person's car. And just like you would do on track, they just drive with them, uh, ride with them um, on the street and then give them some pointers. You know, we'll spend an hour or whatever part of the day in the car with them to give them some tips and techniques. And in the part that's very rewarding is when you see someone who first comes to the event, and maybe they're a little tentative. And typically what it is, is people don't understand what their car is capable of. There's a confidence thing, obviously, but that's because I don't know what my car is capable. So once we help them understand kind of the capabilities of the car, but then also how to control and manage that, you know, manage the weight, right? It's all about weight transfer. It's all about managing the balance of, of the car, if you will. Um, it's really neat seeing them on the second or third day. You see their confidence build. And then it's like, they're really getting the hang of it. Again, we're still doing this safely, but you just see them like 
oh, wow, I didn't realize my car can do that. Or I feel really good now about what I'm capable of doing with the car. Yeah, that's that's great insight. And I think I've done quite a few of these rallies. Would you say the ones I typically go on are the spirited driving ones? That those are the ones I like to yeah. do. Um, so would you say, because then there's the Sunday drive ones where, you know, you're not going above like 40 miles an hour. Would you say yours is definitely more in like if you want to have a spirited fun drive, that category? We're probably lean more that side. Um, and I always tell folks, um, you know, always drive within the limits that you're comfortable with, right? I mean, I would never ask somebody to drive uh, in a way that they're not comfortable. And if a group, you know, these um, typically our groups will run, you know, maybe eight, 10 cars. Um, if the, if a group gets a little bit further ahead, then, you know, my job is to, you know, a few miles ahead, you know, we pull over, we, whatever, we wait for the other group to come up because the idea is to be together, right? Not like you guys are separate from, from these guys type of thing. But again, that, as I said earlier, that, that managing the expectation of both types of individuals, because I want them to have a good time, right? You know, a person who's like, Hey, I'm not there yet. You know, I just, well, that's okay. I want to, you know, ensure that they enjoy themselves in what they feel is safe for them. And then the folks who, as you said, you know, who want to drive more spirited, well, then, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll drive and, you know, you have to do that again, you know, just smartly, you know, like, you know, there's places where, you know, there's no other, you know, cross streets or there's, you know, no houses, residents, you just got to be smart about it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, a specific question I have around, um, you know, maybe driving techniques on electric cars mm -hmm. is they have the one pedal driving, which engages the brake with no coasting, really. It doesn't really engage the brake, but it's regeneration. So have you had any experience Correct. talking about that and how that translates to the racetrack? That's a, this is like, this is so new, you know, and especially even for me, I've had some experience driving, you know, being a Porsche fanboy, <laughs> um, you know, driving the Porsche Taycan 4S, even the Turbo S and really getting a, a feel and an understanding for how that works. But out on these roads, no, that would be a part where I would even like to get out there in a car for a while and, you know, learn myself so then I can help those folks to have um, EV vehicles and understand how to do that. Like you say, you know, when to come off like coast, let the car break for itself a little bit. No, I mean, it's new and we're trying to, you know, have a have the generation that's moving into electric vehicles feel more comfortable. And it's kind of like reminds me of a story. I was on a rally out west and I was in a rear engine 911 and I was used to driving front engine cars, you know, growing up in the 80s, 90s, it's all front engine. And I remember going around a corner and I was hesitating to lift a little bit like you just described. And my passenger is a super experienced Porsche driver. He pushed down my foot and he grabbed my thigh and pushed it down. He's like, do not lift or we're going to go off this edge. You want to accelerate into this corner so like the back is pushed down and you get traction around the corner. And so to your point, it's kind of like when the rear engine went to front engine, that was different. Now we're moving to electric and it's even different. So it's just a new new category. So It is. It is. Absolutely. And I, it's really understanding how that weight, right? Like you said, you know, how the, how to manage the weight and understanding how fast it happens, right? How how quickly that regeneration, what does that feel like? When do I need to apply brake? And maybe I only need to apply a little bit of brake. So, Mike, back to your earlier question when you were talking about, you know, do I need rotors? Do I need pads? You know, this regeneration probably plays into that a little bit, I would imagine. Um, you know, if, if you're not having to be on the brakes as much on some of the 
more gentler turns, you know, where that regen by just kind of coming off the pedal may help you a little bit. Maybe you, you wouldn't use as much brake. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've noticed just around town driving, you know, some of the spirited driving that I'll do from time to time is that it's instead of being full on the, well, full on the brake, you can sometimes just be not touching anything. You're just, right. you're just really let off. And so it's more just um, for me, it's a continuum and where you are on the continuum versus a gas versus an electric car because that regeneration. So it's not from what I've seen is it, it does settle the car, obviously, but um, it's just really where you make that transition in the what pedal you're on and how far you're going to be pressing. So my guess, and I'm just, this is a bet here, is when you get into an EV on one of your events at some point here, hope sooner than later, but when that does happen, that it's a very easy transition because I feel like you'll probably get it within a few miles that is my guess just with your experience overall especially you know some of the speeds that we're driving again it's you know not going too crazy um you know to be able to really feel that and, and then manage it yeah i would love to experience that mike well maybe we'll, we'll figure something out there i was gonna say that sounds like an invite <laughs> i think I, I think so i think i think we need to we need to set yes. something here yeah you're listening to the plug in for more podcast if you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. You know, Andy, as far as you know, different things that you know, I guess people ask, and I know if I was going to join one of your rallies, which I plan to in the, in the near future, you know, what's the cost? I mean, I think that's probably one of the first thing that comes out. I mean, is it very sure. based on the event and where you're going, the type of lodging? Can you kind of walk us through what the cost would typically be? I mean, I'm not going to nail you down on exact price because obviously inflation is hitting everyone right now. But, you know, just in general, kind of what people could expect. Sure. sure. So the the we kind of break our pricing into kind of three buckets, if you will. So one is I'll call um, a single. We're all familiar with the term, you know, single doubles and stuff. So a single in our world is one person, one car, one room, right? A double would be two persons, one car, one room. And then we have a multi that is two persons, two cars, one room. So say friends are coming along and they're like, you know, hey, let's share as opposed to getting two singles. Do you want to share a room? Um, so there's a little bit of savings there if they go the, the the multi route. Now most of the lodges we stay at typically have right, you know, their lodges in the mountains made for couples and whatnot. So you have a lot of you know king size bed, queen size beds, but we do have some roll away beds that we can put in some of the rooms. And one of the lodges we stay at does have two. One has one room with two twins, and another one has two rooms with two doubles. So first, that's um, one breakdown uh, that we have in the pricing. And then the pricing would also depend on, is it a two-day drive or a three-day drive? So we have um, a three-day driving event where folks, we come in on a Thursday. We typically have a welcome reception gathering. So folks get to meet one another before we actually go out and start driving and whatnot. And then that one would drive, we would drive Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we get a little bit of, a, get one weekday in there on a Friday and then drive Saturday, Sunday with a checkout on Monday. And then a two day event is very similar, but we would check out on Sunday as opposed to Monday because some folks, you know, they got to get back to work. They have to do things, can't take off that extra day. 
Um, and then we do two full days of driving Friday and Saturday. Makes sense. And then pricing, Mike, you know, I'll show, I mean, a, a single uh, would start out um, for two day event starts just under $2,000. Okay. But again, this includes, you know, lodging, meals, drinks, photography, pretty much all you have to do, lunches, all you have to do is put gas in your car. Sounds great to me. I was going to say, for, compared to some of the other you know rallies and events I've been on, I think that's I think it's a fabulous price, Andy. What's really been wonderful is about forty percent of the people who have come have come again, um, and I've had five people that have come four times, and, and it's it's like they just love it. It's like their little club because they call one another and, Hey, are you going to go? I'm going to go. Yeah, I think I'm going to go too. And you know, <laughs> it, I think it's great. Uh, but they, I think they like that smaller setting. Uh, and then they get to you know meet up with friends and you build trust too. Right. And if you're on track, you know, this, right. When, when you're driving on track and you get in a certain group, you know, the other people on the track and you know what they're going to do, what they're not going to do. And I think for some of these guys, it's a similar thing, right. Is they know that other group say they're the spirited drivers, right. They know the other guys there and they're like, Oh yeah, this will be fun. You know, let's all go. Do you see a lot of husband and wives going? Is it mostly just, you know, single, single guys going and I've seen a lot of women getting involved in this. So what, what kind of, what kind of demographics are you seeing? Mainly, it's been a lot of single guys. Um, we've had one, two, three, four, yeah, maybe about four couples that have come along. Uh, in cases, you know, the wives, in this case, their partner was their wife. They, they're just as much into it as the husbands are. I mean, they really get out there and really enjoy it. So I would love to see more of the, you know, the women kind of come because they're out there. Uh, in fact, I have an event coming up in June where um, most of all the spots we sold so far are all doubles. Uh, and one of them is uh, there's a woman I know here, you know, just from the local, you know, cars and coffee and whatnot. She just bought herself a 2017 Stingray, Corvette Stingray. So she's excited to get the car out on the road. So I'm really happy to have her come along. That's awesome. Yeah, I hope so. So I spent a fair amount of time delving into your YouTube channel and uh -oh. following some of the highlights and looking at the reviews of different things, which I think is all, it's really cool. I, I look at some of the cars you've got on there that are super impressive. We can come back to your new McLaren and admit, but if I've got a vehicle and I want to show up, is there a, a a type of car that typically is allowed to come to your events or do you allow all cars or how, how do you? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is one. It, it's um, it's a question I get asked a lot. And so we use this term, you know, we say performance car owners and people are like, well, what's a performance car? Right. And it, it, you start getting very subjective. Uh, you know, for me, it's about, you know, it's power to weight ratio. It's what's the horsepower of the car. I really don't care what you bring. It just has to kind of match or be fit in with, I've, I had somebody who wants to come with a MR2 and it's like, okay, you can bring an MR2, but I have to manage it if a guy wants to come along and he's got a GT3 RS or, or something like that. But I've seen guys, you know, and, and I'm sure Brian, you have too. I've seen guys on track and Miatas just beat the pants off of like anything out there. So again, if I, I don't know what, how well you drive or how you can drive, but I have to be careful just because you have a car that may seem underpowered 
that doesn't mean you can't drive the heck out of that car. Andy, your uh, your analogy brings me back to I was on the racetrack and I was in a 911 with a friend and in front of us was a Miata and it was a, another buddy of ours. And you're right. We were, we were going into a corner and my, my friend in the 911 is like, this is where I take over DJs was his name. And nope. Nope. DJ was a much better driver in his Miata and actually smoked the 911, which shouldn't be even in the same comparison class. But you're right. It was the lines he took in the track, driving experience. Just because you have a better car does not mean on the racetrack that you're going to you know, be the better, faster driver. So. It, yeah, it's uh, they're they're always amazing. They're they're kind of like when we're on the track, and sometimes there's a bunch of them out there. They're kind of like the little bees that are buzzing around uh, because of their weight. And it's it's really they're so light. These guys, they, they I think they have an expression. You know, they're like never lift. Like they don't even have to break like in turns and stuff. They just may lift a little bit, and you see them sliding around, and they just you know buzz along. Now, when you get to a straightaway. Right, the higher power 911 or some portion might pull away, but if you're not good in the turns, you're going to yep. look in your rearview mirror and they're going to be like right there on the on the back of your car. So yeah, there's a lot of yeah. good Miata drivers out there. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, the straight BMW too, BMW Miata. Yeah, E36, E46, like the E36 seems to be real popular. I see a lot of guys pick up an older E36 and, you know, kind of strip it out, maybe put a roll cage in, do stuff. And those guys are really quick um, in those cars around the track. Speaking of track, Andy, so, you know, I spent a fair amount of time on, on tracks as well, not as much as you. Um, and probably not as much as Brian, but, um, as far as EVs are concerned, where do you see, you know, kind of where they're at today, where they can be in the next you know year to two years, and then maybe long-term, I mean, they're sort of taking over the general car. Yeah. But- yeah. I, I would, I would have to think that, you know, the track owners, right. I mean, typically they're renting their tracks out to different clubs that put on uh, driving events there. I would have to think that those owners are starting to think about and look at how do I start putting in that infrastructure? Because I think as, you know, younger folks and, you know, folks get into these EVs and they become more prolific. I think you're going to see more of them show up at track. And then that's also going to require from, um, the instructing, the teaching um, part that I think those folks are going to, like myself, right, are going to have to learn how do I manage, you know, these, right, these cars weigh what, between 10 and 30% more than a, a gasoline powered car. So um, I, I think there's, there's the track has a piece, build out the infrastructure, accommodate it. I think these driving organizations that have instructors are going to have to find, like, how do we get training for these folks. I mean, some of the things, weight management is going to be the same. It's probably going to be more about how much do I need to apply the brake, you know, and the weight of the vehicle. I think things like the braking we talked about earlier is going to play a huge part um, on that track event, you know, where maybe, maybe you do have to upgrade your rotors. Maybe there are some things you're going to need to do. I definitely think it's an evolution um, that is going to change over, say, the next, what, 10, 15 years. I'm excited for it. It will be very interesting because the you know you know the track experience is very visceral, right? You hear all these cars, the roar, you know, going down, and people know by sound what that is. You know, that's going down the track, and the smells of you know the exhaust or tires and brakes will be brake smell, but uh, it'll be an interesting experience uh, when EVs, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, start becoming more prolific in that environment. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of tire squeal. Yeah, maybe so. Right. Oh. Exactly. Oh. Well, yeah, I think a lot of even performance cars now that are not EVs, it's pretty hard to take them on the roads like we're describing and fully experience the power that's available. You have to be on a racetrack to fully take it to the edge. And then you bring in EVs that are running you know 1.9 seconds zero to 60 it's in it's just absolutely insane the performance that's out there on those and so yeah this would be really interesting to see you know yeah yeah i had an event we had a uh what was it a panamera one of those sport turismos you know the wagon thing and it was the hybrid the thing was putting out like over 800 horsepower and i was in the rs and that guy he was working really hard he was doing a pretty good job keeping up with me because where he, I could get him going into the turn because I could get in there quicker into the turn. But when I came out of the turn, my Porsches aren't known as a high torque or high horsepower car. Well, he could get back on it, right? And he had all that torque. So then coming out of the turn, like he would just like come right up on me <laughs> coming out of the turn. And he's like hauling around a lot of weight. And I was, I was really amazed at how well he was doing in that a big heavy car, but um, yeah, he he definitely um, he was working it to keep up with me though. But it was still fun. From a performance driving vehicle that's an EV, what are you most looking forward to that will be coming out in the next year to two years? On some of those, you know, I get enamored with the like the high end, like some of the hyper cars. Like, what is that one that's coming or it's already out that Rimac or whatever the heck it is, you know, that crazy car um, uh, that some of those look really, really cool. Um, and then there's there's a um, like I know Porsche has some things in the works. And even though, you know, the Cayman platform probably in what, 25, 26, I think they're going to introduce an EV on that. So I'm really curious to see what Porsche is going to do there more from a standpoint of, you know, right. They're all known about the engineering and the performance and handling, right. Their cars are all about handling. So I'm really curious to see what they're going to do in that space there. Um, some other things I've been following, Mike, maybe not necessarily cars, but even looking in the, the, um, the truck space, um, you know, from the pickups, both, you know, Chevrolet and Ford introducing the EVs and then um, what is it? Rivian, Rivian, the, the yeah, Rivian. one truck, that's coming out that looks pretty cool. Even the tech on the inside and whatnot looks really neat. I, I think there's a lot of interesting uh, new players on, on the market there. Uh, but being a, you know, still kind of a gasoline powered guy, the, the, the other piece is very interesting is the hybridization. I'll call it that transition, right? Where, you know, we go from pure gas to, you know, gas hybrid and then full on into the EV and just watching that transition happen. And I think Porsche, um, even in their GT car division, I wouldn't be surprised if the this 992.2 generation is going to introduce a hybrid. You know, maybe it starts out in that Turbo S. I wouldn't be surprised if we even saw it in the in a GT3 RS on a dot two putting in some, you know, 48 volt infrastructure to help with, you know, that torque. Cause that's what Porsche kind of, you know, I've got that power, I got that high end, but like, how do I 
come out of that turn and really feel that power coming out of a turn. That part, I'm really kind of excited to see what happens. Fantastic. Second question, last question I've got for you. So the name of the company, RS Experience, you are now a McLaren owner. What are you going to do? Yeah, that one has, um, well, you know, Sans Ren Sport, right, within the Porsche, you know, racing sport. So you yep. could call it racing sport. You could call it rally sport. You, you know, you can call it whatever okay. whatever you want that RS to, <laughs> what it means for you. Uh, yeah, that was, um, I love cars, right? And I've been a Porsche guy since, what, 2009. I don't go back like some guys, you know, way back to the 70s or 80s. Um, and I was just interested in trying something else. I had driven a friend 600LT Spider, which was probably a mistake. Um, I've driven 720Ss before and whatnot, but the car is just like, they're like almost too fast. And the 600LT um, gave me the feeling of of like driving a, a kind of more of a track focused car. Um, and I was really impressed with its handling. I, I was really impressed with the front end grip of the car. And, you know, the, the GT3 RS, the 991.2 that I had was fantastic. I mean, absolutely amazing. And the 600 LT is just, just is competent. Um, the hydraulic steering is amazing. The turn in is amazing. You know, that weight, distribution more mid-engine right than the full-on rear engine um i've been really impressed so far with that car you know those cars i think get a little bit of a bad rap because of you know reliability some of the gremlins uh and then also i know depreciation had uh been a real challenge but i i think they're a little bit of a diamond in the rough meaning that people are steering away from them because of some of those issues but they're they're missing out on a a really amazing car. That's just my opinion in, in 60 days of ownership. It's been a fast 60 days, I'm sure. I've <laughs> put like 2,700 miles on the car, I think already. <laughs> yeah, I drive my cars. They're not, you know, I like keeping them clean and all that good stuff, but they get driven. Yeah. Uh, that RS had over 21,000 miles on it. Yeah, uh, so, so to back up for listeners out there that, that you had a porsche gt3 rs which hence came out rs experience and then now you're in a mclaren so again just let's we can call it whatever we want but that's sort of the genesis maybe potentially right. that's just correct yeah 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 right. yep you have it and, and andy we'll we'll make sure to put a link to your your channels and your website in the description of, of this awesome. below. So that'll be there posted, but can you tell people where to go to find more information? Sure. Yeah. Um, our website is uh, www.rs and then the letter experience. So it's experience without the E. So rsexperience.com. Uh, and then our website, you also have access to our Instagram, which is basically rs.experience with the X. Um, and it's the same for Facebook. And we're recently on Twitter um, at RS uh, dot experience on Twitter as well. Awesome. Great. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And uh, it was great to meet you. Thank you. Um, and Mike, I'm looking forward to uh, getting you out there on one of these rallies. <laughs> I'll be there. No doubt. I'll be there it's sooner than later. Yeah, that'll, that'll be awesome. Yeah, that'll be awesome. First EV on the trip, I'm sure. 
Yeah, that, that's good. We should we'll make a we'll make a deal of that too. Um, absolutely, I'd like to get a video of that and whatnot as well to talk about what that's like. Um, you know, uh, the EV in the mountains. I like it. Or, Let me know when you're up uh, in the Michigan way. We'll do a we'll do a rally up here too. So yeah, you know, you know, Andy's grandiose. You know, five year plan is you know start doing these in some other locations um, uh, around the U.S. I mean, the Smokies is just very familiar. With you know, I I probably got I don't know twelve fifteen thousand miles driving in the Smoky Mountains. Um, I do a lot of scouting. Typically in the spring, um, I'll do scouting for a few days and you know find uh, new roads and put some routes together. So people always want to do the famous stuff, you know, Tail the Dragon. There's a Cherahala Skyway that's absolutely amazing. It's beautiful, but there's a lot of I call we call them hidden gems. But there's a lot of roads that people just don't know about. Uh, and they're the less traveled, less trafficked, um, et cetera. And, and that's the stuff that I like showing people and they get out there and they're just like, oh my God, you know, it's like, okay, be prepared. Your, your hands, your wrists are going to get tired on this one, <laughs> um, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Northern Michigan where Tom and I are, have ton of good driving roads and I have a lot of routes. So if I can help out, let me know. Oh yeah. I would love to get up there. I would love to get up there. Thank you for listening to plug in for more. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, eVuniverse.com. Until next time.